Welcome to the Changing Construction podcast brought to you by Mail Manager, the Outlook add-in created by Arab to help companies get control of their email. Um, thanks very much to all the listeners for taking time to join us on this episode. I hope, hope you've enjoyed the previous ones. We're really trying to ramp up the quality as well as the quantity of content which we're delivering at the moment. Uh, delighted to be joined in this episode by James Hanley in Australia. Hi, James. Hi. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, James. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, help the listeners get to know you a bit in terms of your um, your background. Sure. So uh, my name is James Hanley. I currently work uh, in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, as uh, the National Design Technology Manager for Grey Pucksand. Uh, so I've been with those guys now for uh, coming up to about eight months. Uh, previously, I was actually working over in New Zealand in Christchurch, uh, helping sort of the rebuild from the Christchurch earthquakes back there in 2011. Uh, so I was over there for about three years working as their sort of um, BIM manager uh, with a team, uh, helping to rebuild uh, Christchurch as well as sort of a lot of other developments around New Zealand. And um, previous to that, I was actually over in London, over in the UK. So I spent three years over there with Shepard Robson. So had a bit of experience sort of in uh, three major sort of centres around technology, BIM and, and Revit with architects and interior designers. Yeah, you must be um, part of a small group of people who have, um, who have experienced that. And obviously lots of people listening will have gone through the process of um, mobilizing their kind of IT and staff to allow them to work from home and, and that, that's, that sort of that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, from, from the chats we've had, uh, that sounds like the same for yourselves in Australia. So what's that process? Very much so. We, we, uh, we definitely had the, the distinct pleasure of, uh, of packing our staff up with, uh, with their towers under one arm and their monitors under another and uh, shifting them all to a work from home sort of uh, environment. So it's been really interesting from that sort of IT technology sort of lens to see just how that sort of shift has taken place. Um, I mean, just like any other firm out there, um, changing and, and moving any number of staff. Um, I mean, we're only 130 staff, so we're sort of on the smaller side. But for some of those larger practices, I think it's been, whilst we've been able to do it successfully, it's definitely brought up a few challenges um, and made us sort of reflect internally on just where our processes are, how strong they are. It's, it's identified a few holes um, as well as opportunities uh, on how we can do things better. So definitely sort of looking at, at some technology and some strategy and some workflow processes that can tighten up our, our business as well as our sort of architectural projects uh, to enable sort of our teams to work anywhere, anytime. It's been, um, yeah, de- definitely challenging, but also quite rewarding at the same time. Great. Well, that, that kind of brings us nicely on to the topic for today's episode, which is the role strategy, uh, the role a digital strategy plays in helping firms survive or thrive in the current pandemic. Um, probably a good place to start, just because, as I say, you are in a small group of guys who have experienced <laughs> it. And I know, that adop- I know that adoption of BIM is something you're passionate about. What, what were you, kind of your observations between um, Australia and New Zealand and, and the UK in terms of uh, where they are on the BIM curve, if you like? Yeah, look, it's been really interesting. I mean, as you said, I've, I've been quite fortunate to, to sort of be around those three sort of main countries and, and looking at or being a part of that implementation and adoption. So I'd have to say, if I was to put it out there, and it hurts as, a, as an Aussie, but I I'd actually have to say New Zealand's probably very close 
to, to the UK in leading that adoption and implementation. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to work in the UK right in 2016 around the government mandate uh, and then shifted back to New Zealand in 2017. And I, I think looking at New Zealand, I think they've, they've got a bit of an edge. I think Australia and New Zealand are very much sort of just sat there and quietly watched um, the UK and yourselves uh, implement BIM and set these processes up and all the, the ISO standards and the, the PAS standards as well, and really just sort of sat there and seen how it played out. And Australia and New Zealand were definitely um, doing their own thing and contributing to, to implementation and to, to standards and adoption. But I think given New Zealand sort of is obviously the, the smallest country out of the three of them, they've definitely got this distinct advantage, in my opinion, where they've actually been able to really turn around their their sort of environment quite quickly. Um, they've had a lot of buy-in really early on um, from sort of some of the really, or, or the large architectural firms, engineering firms, and so on, with a lot of backing from government. Obviously, the UK are, are well up there in regards to having developed standards that have now been around for, for some time. Um, I mean, New Zealand's got the, the BIM Acceleration Committee, for example. Uh, Australia's got the um, Australian BIM Advisory Board as well. So no one's resting on their laurels. They're, they're definitely looking at, at sort of what the UK has done. And obviously, there's a different flavour to it uh, in, in different countries. So I think we've definitely taken what you guys have done and, and sort of looked at how that applies to our industry. And, and what does that mean for our governments, for our projects, for our clients, as well as our, our contractors and, and sort of architects as well. Um, but I definitely think New Zealand, are, are, they've got some very innovative people and, and leaders and uh, businesses over there. Um, and I think for a small country, they, they definitely are um, at the bleeding edge of technology. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, what role do you think kind of government plays in this? Because I'm, I'm aware it's it's different, you know, in, certainly in Australia yeah. compared to, to the UK. Look, I, I think as sort of chief policy makers, government sort of play a, a critical role in, in helping industries sort of turn around and, and focus where they want to put their energies. I mean, you have those key leaders in those businesses, but until there's that framework that's developed to sort of guide an industry, those sort of leaders it can be frustrating in, in a sense when you're trying to turn what is a quite a large ship and change an industry. But unless you have that framework that is, you might input into it, but unless it's sort of realised and acknowledged and supported by those government agencies or governments themselves, it can be quite difficult um, to implement that sort of change. But I think at any rate, change is, is such a slow process. Um, I, I think a, a lot of the listeners will, will understand the the process in regards to change management in, in the AEC industry, and it can be to some point quite glacial in its speed. So having that support from government, I, I just think is is absolutely critical to changing that an industry, whether it be worldwide or or country based. Um, I think there's also there can be sort of slight issues. I mean, for take Australia for example, we have different state and territory governments as well, whereas New Zealand just has your one central government. So there's those intricacies in in I mean in Australia we've got uh, VDAS, so Victoria has their own Victorian digital asset strategy. Um, New Zealand has their own as well, and 
there's other sort of initiatives that happen state by state and territory by territory. So when you start working, especially when you're working from home and working remotely, when you start resourcing across different projects in different states, understanding even right down when you're documenting the projects and at that coalface, understanding the differences between what might be a requirement on a project in a different state or territory has its difficulties as well. And do you think kind of just I suppose building off that do you think that the answer or solution to that is um, is kind of better collaboration across across obviously across industry but across government? Yeah, I, I think so. I think sometimes um, governments can be quite sort of introspective and, and just looking at their own area. Um, I, I think what might be um, a benefit coming out of this sort of current environmental situation is that people might end up collaborating even more with people outside of their sort of standard geographical borders. So I think governments really need to work together to say, look, we need to come up with a common framework and a common strategy to really support our industries moving forward, Uh, not just AEC, but all of our industries. Yeah, well, I certainly think that would help. Think about companies who work, you know, across a number a number of regions. Um, that it would help kind of identify and separate the companies who are quite advanced in in this mm. in this area and the ones who who aren't, because um, it's it's quite easy to talk a good BIM game. Um, yeah. Onto the role strategy plays in, I suppose, stopping us all being like busy fools and still allowing us to kind of work smart and be pretty agile, which I think is important because I think the only thing which we do know at the moment is that change is going to be around for a long time. So, what's kind of your, as someone who uh, helps develop and and execute digital strategy, what's your thought on the role it's playing in what we're seeing today? Look, I think what's been really apparent is, um, and I've seen a few articles around LinkedIn and a few forums and that sort of stuff, but just how quickly change has sort of eventuated in the last few months. Um, someone once said to me, sort of, if you fly by the seat of your pants, expect friction burns. And I think there's probably a wide range of companies out there that are really sort of putting a, a, a microscope to their strategies to say, hey, we could have been better prepared or we could have done things differently. But look, you know what? We got to where we are. Um, how do we move forward and how do we get our strategy really locked down to sort of um, understand what might happen in the future? Um, I mean, pandemics are one thing, but there's any reason why a strategy is important. I, I think for us at Grey Sand, we've definitely sort of taken a, a look at our strategy that we were developing sort of prior to the situation. Um, and look, we, we had some things spot on um, and we're definitely still moving that way, but it's definitely re- made us realise that actually, you know what, maybe our strategy needed to go a slightly different way. And there's all these questions that have sort of opened up around, well, now that we are working from home or working remotely, and we could be for quite some time more, regardless of, of restrictions and those sorts of things easing, what do we really need to focus on to make sure that our staff are still efficient and we're sort of supporting them the best way possible? So there's any number of sort of areas we're focusing on from sort of our technology platforms and and where there's a lot of talk around just what does a a shift to cloud-based working look like, a lot of things around sort of training and education and also sort of even the hardware that we use. So we're, we're really not leaving any stone unturned in looking at how we better support our business and how we equip them um, to basically work under any, any situation. What have been the, I suppose, from your, your point of view, what do you think of a kind of the one or two things where 
probably a lot of you know businesses like yourselves were kind of quite well equipped I and mean, then where are the areas where you kind of i suppose blind spots really because i think it'd be that would be helpful to learn yeah look blind spots for us have definitely been in regards to a lot of our technologies being sort of on site so currently we're actually still using revit server for all of our projects and that's really sort of open our eyes in, in regards to, to moving all of our projects onto Revit server as we were leaving the office. Um, we're now dealing with some some issues around VPN connections back to the studios and back to those projects. So that's definitely, the, the microscope has definitely been on cloud-based working. And, and what does a shift towards a platform like BIM 360 look like? I mean, look, obviously, given the economic sort of situation, that there's always cost associated with IT and design technology. So there's always a plan around around that and you, you never sort of spend money for the sake of spending money. But we've definitely sort of looked at, look, there's actually a, a, a scope here to, to better serve not only our, our internal staff by moving to a cloud-based platform, but also to help um, engage our clients and our contractors and our projects have access given to those guys onto cloud-based platforms like BIM 360. Mm-hmm. Just to really, just, I mean, you've, we've got to think about removing that certain level of risk if we were to have like an on-site failure. I mean, if, if we, a few weeks ago, if we'd had a, a server go down in the studio, we might not have been allowed to get into the studio to to fix it. So we're really thinking about every different avenue around where we can tighten up those sort of workflows and platforms. That's interesting. What do you see as being the kind of the positive, almost Im- improvements, which you know uh, companies are uh, inevitably going to going to ha- going to have to make moving forward? Look, I, I think, um, and if I can speak biasly for a minute, but I think they'll they'll understand just uh, what IT does for practices. I, I feel, and I'm. I'm I'm, I'm a foot in both camps being sort of BIM manager, design technology, and also mm. semi-IT. I think businesses will start to really understand just what an IT manager or an IT department does for them and just how much work is involved in that area in keeping businesses running from an, from an information technology point of view. So we're in the in the process at the moment of, of looking at budgets. Um, and there's obviously some things that are nice to haves and some things that just uh, can wait for a little while. So I think businesses will really get on board and say look we understand we need to to get our digital transformation rolling and and that very much hinges on what investment we make towards our IT towards our hardware our infrastructure our software all those sorts of things I, I definitely think I, I do feel for for the IT managers out there out there sometimes they're, they're very much uh, looked at like they're from another planet because no one understands what they do or, or how hard they work um, I definitely think uh, that they've definitely earned their crust over the last few months. And I think businesses will really understand just just how much effort and time and money is involved in that side of keeping any business afloat. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I think certainly from, you know, from our point of view, we, we probably speak to somewhere between um, 25 and 50 kind of IT director, IT managers a, a week. Um, 
about technology and the one thing which it does kind of come across from time to time is that they kind of they only really get uh, i suppose the, the focus of attention tends to go on them when things go wrong and when things yeah, go right absolutely. um it's kind of <laughs> we'll just leave that you know we'll just leave a person to get on with whatever exactly. they do um yeah I know part of your role is is in implementing change within the within the practice, um, and I just wondered from a kind of a training point of view that obviously makes life a bit different. Um, so, what are you seeing? Definitely, there? yeah. Look, so I think what we've actually seen um, just even over the past two months, we, we've been working from home in in New South Wales or Australia. The absolute uptick in engagement from a training and support area with it with my um, colleagues has just been un- unimaginable whereas in the past I used to sort of fly down to Melbourne for three days and up to Brisbane for two days and run training sessions and some people could turn up or some people out on site visits and so on at the moment running our, our training sessions from Microsoft Teams and doing live demos I can barely squeeze a word in for an hour training session because everyone's just been so involved and and the feedback has just been amazing so I think They've got a lot of work to do. I mean, our staff have probably never been busier, but also they're definitely making the time to actually upskill and actually devote some of that time to training. I mean, we've got a number of staff who are on actually sort of guided training sessions and doing a few hours each day and coming back to me with questions. But what's been really amazing to sort of see is just how keen people are to to be a part of training and and development um, at a personal level. But also what we're finding is that that training and education is also pushing adoption um, and also change management or change development. So it's actually sort of shone a bit of a, a spotlight on some of our standards. So we're sort of seeing um, training and training sessions sort of uh, rolling out a few workflows and asking a few questions and answers and, and Q&A sessions. And people are actually saying, well, why don't we tighten up our processes here? Or why don't we look at how we do this part of work or look at our drawing registers or our revisioning system and actually try and tighten that up as a business? Um, so it's more holistic for all three studios instead of being being very sort of siloed. So training education has actually given us a, a side benefit that we're actually seeing changes to our processes and standards be discussed more openly and actually sort of rolled out even quicker, uh, which is absolutely amazing from my point of view. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you must have experienced some sort of challenge before getting people to engage with, with training. I mean, I, I know I know, I, I do when I'm trying to train people on stuff. Yeah, but. <laughs> absolutely, actually. I mean, one of the, I was quite funny, I, I actually ran a training session for the practice before having a chat with you now. And um, someone actually mentioned, look, this is actually so much more engaging because when I would, would used to train, I'd be flying down to Melbourne and it would just be me in front of a company or in front of a, a studio presenting on a screen. And people sort of half an hour in and 45 minutes in, people sort of start to lose interest or they get a bit fidgety or because they're not actually hands-on learning, it's not very engaging. Whereas now I've actually had a few people that, uh, talk to me and say, hey, as you're sharing your screen remotely, I've actually got Revit open and I'm following along with what you're training on. So that sort of um, hands-on training is just invaluable. I think I'm a massive a massive proponent for sort of having staff be hands-on. I mean, that's mm. the best way to learn. Um, mm. Instead of having me standing in front of 40 people talking, yeah, look, you will pick something up, but if you're actually doing it alongside me, you'll learn so much quicker. Um, yeah. Which is really great. 
yeah i think that's a, a really good point because uh, I mean, the, the thing which people always say about training is oh you know I, i'll always take one thing away and it's kind of well you know if you're going to be in a session for two or three hours or, or more then um you know we should probably try and set a slightly higher expectation in terms of the deliverables absolutely kind of from that yeah from that um another part of implementing change i suppose particularly on projects is the role red tape can can play certainly in the speed of change which um it, which is just something i see but it's something you must experience firsthand yeah definitely um i mean we've been really looking at our processes and and how we're using design technology especially sort of things like revit and dynamo uh live on our projects and just looking at at how our workflows and processes and how we want to develop those. I mean, I've never believed that your standard should stay still. It should always evolve as, as technologies are released and updated and to reflect the changing environment of, of what the client wants and our buildings being more complex. So what we've actually found is people have actually had much more time to look at what changes we're looking at making to, to processes. And we've definitely been able to implement them faster. I mean, the sheer speed in which we moved everyone from, from working in offices to home has definitely translated to the way we look at our processes for, for documentation and for modeling and for scripting. It's just been amazing to have people really want to be a part of that conversation it's you can jump on teams and have a chat with people straight away and get the information and the background and the history of the process and then quickly set a meeting for a few days later and really start to nut out why we want to change it how it's going to change what what has to change um, whereas before it just was quite hard to really get to the bottom of processes and understand yeah there's history behind them but how do we change them and how do we get everyone on the same page i think everyone working from home has definitely become more available which, yeah. which suits some people and, and probably yeah. not some others yeah absolutely absolutely but yeah i think i think people are uh, really i mean i suppose that's probably even the downside you might say that to working from home is that you're sort of available sort of all the time whereas in a studio you sort of as soon as you leave the door you sort of write that's my work day done for now Whereas I, I can sort of jump on and say, hey, have you got five minutes to chat? I just want to run past our revisioning system with you or, or run past this process. So, yeah, we've definitely found that um, our change process has actually sped up quite surprisingly in, in this sort of environment, which, which is great. Yeah, really, really good. And I think, you know, for other people, particularly kind of in, in roles like yourself, it, it does kind of, someone, some, someone said to me yesterday, it's like the sort of 15 minutes of fame for digital Absolutely. <laughs> champions. Um, so for people in that position who are probably trying to do quite a lot and implement quite a lot remotely, whether it's software or I suppose arguably more importantly, process change, what kind of, what, what advice would, would you have for them look I, I would definitely say communicate with your business um I, i'm i'm the only design technology manager for for gray puck sand so i definitely bounce ideas off my off the it manager daily um I'm, I'm sure he's sick of my phone calls by now but just talking to people instead of trying to go it alone and try, trying to trying to change the world from your dining room table definitely talk to those people around the business and get an idea for what the appetite is for change. I mean, humans are, are 
pre-programmed to, to dislike change and to dislike too many options. So there'll always be that level of, of sort of ambivalence towards change. But if you can partner with those people in your practice that understand why change is healthy, why it needs to happen, um, as long as it's not change for change sakes, uh, as long as you're trying to achieve a goal out of it, definitely partner with those people and do your research first. Um, I've definitely, even myself, I've, I've gone down the path in my career where I've, I've gone to change something by myself and I've rolled it out and I've had a, a very angry team of documenters and architects at, at my door with pitchforks asking me why <laughs> I changed it. So I've definitely learned, involve as many people as comfortable. I mean, obviously you don't want to go down the path of sort of death by committee, but likewise, you do want to talk to people and get a feel for what is the best way to change and get your um, sort of working examples in order before you present and before you sort of propose a change. So say, look, here is what our current system looks like. Here is what a working example looks like based on change. This is sort of why I'm proposing it. This is how I propose to get there. I would really like your buy-in um, and your support. And likewise, I'd like to hear any potential holes that you think might be in that process. Yeah, a really, really good point. I think um, kind of one thing which I've experienced in the past is somebody who's kind of trying to be an advocate and implement implement change is um, almost prejudges what people might might say because Absolutely. we are we are all kind of pre-programmed, as you say, to be a little bit uh, you know a little bit skeptical. And I think often it's kind of I suppose there's from my point of view what I see is kind of I suppose you're same guys who might be kind of receptive to the idea and can almost maybe help you build a bit, a bit of a consensus. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah. my little key is, um, I mean, in a, in a previous life, I was actually a documenter. So I just, I innately understand just how much information and knowledge those guys and girls hold. So from now on, I've, I've or ever since I moved into that design technology sort of realm, my first go-to group is the documenters because they're the people that will be the most upset if you change something. <laughs> um, but like, Likewise, they will always give you so much information about process and what they do on projects. So, yeah, those guys are just such an invaluable group of people. Yeah, certainly hard to disagree with that. One thing which is inevitably kind of different and more challenging now is actually delivering projects, you know, for architects, engineers, as you know, as, as well as contractors on site. And I just wondered if you kind of had, I suppose, any examples of projects kind of being delivered and still still, still finding a way to progress. Yeah, it, it's quite a challenging environment out there. I mean, I, I was in the office this morning for a pitch and then back to home for a training session. But what I've actually really been impressed with is just our capacity and I'm sure everyone out there to keep these projects running on sort of such a, a different environment I mean for me architecture is such a collaborative experience and process um, and I mean look just like a large part of the, the, the world uh, we, we rely heavily on, on the Microsoft Teams and the Zoom and, and all these platforms but what we've actually been really lucky is two of our really large projects which we were really nervous about how are we going to deliver these things from a, a remote uh, sort of sense or remote work environment. Um, we actually did jump on BIM 360 with those. So we've been really lucky to work with one of our key contractors and, and jump onto that platform and keep the team really engaged. Um, I mean, that's not to say we're not engaged off that platform, but BIM 360, um, as I mentioned before, we're, we're actually on Revit server for most of our projects. BIM 360 is just 
absolutely changing um, and just almost supercharging collaboration uh, in our industry. So I think it's a, a no-brainer to implement those sorts of cloud platforms for our projects. I mean, we, we've still had site visits happening and our team meetings happening remotely and over internet. Uh, so I think communication is key. Um, I, I think nothing beats a good face-to-face -face meeting, but I think it's just to keep delivering those projects, to be able to hit the ground running and, and get the teams onto the platforms they require to keep those projects going is, is where your IT and design tech guys come in to support those projects, especially some of our projects have been quite large. So yeah, the, the cloud-based platforms have been, been a savior um, in, in our sense to keep those uh, projects running along quite smoothly. In terms of clients, you know, I'm conscious that part of your role is, well, kind of, I suppose, different different hats, but um, on a, there's some kind of practice and technology management, but mm. and also some project delivery. But what are you seeing in terms of kind of potential new new projects in the pipeline and that sort of thing? Look, it's actually um, it's been um, really interesting. We, as I mentioned, I, I was just in in the uh, in the office this morning for a pitch for a new project. So I, I still think, I mean, it all revolves around economic circumstances, and they're going to be different, obviously, for different countries. I think Australia has been really lucky. Uh, I mean, we're not without our challenges, um, as as any other part of the world in in this situation. But I think clients are still out there, and I think it goes right back to the start of our conversation around what governments can do to support the industry and. We've in New South Wales, we've seen education projects fast tracked. Um, I think we've had about 30 key projects uh, around the state fast track to say, hey, we need to support the industry and keep construction going. I think our, our project leaders and our partners have been instrumental in, in getting out there and, and maintaining our relationships with our clients. And I think that sort of helped reassure them to say, hey, look, the, the world out there from a business sense may have changed and, and in a literal sense as well, but we're still here. We're still open for business. We're still doing what we've always done. So don't feel worried about coming to us. Um, we can definitely help with those projects. And I think likewise, clients want to actually get those projects off the ground and they know the current situation is not going to last forever. So it's been really reassuring even from a client's point of view to say, hey, we still want to build our projects and we still want to design amazing new buildings and fit outs and workspaces. So yeah, it's those relationships have been really good just to see continue in, in these challenging times. Yeah, no, uh, but something which we saw on a on a lesser extent, I suppose, when the Brexit vote, you know, was delivered in the UK, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> where um, uh, quite quickly people did kind of say, well, you know, we're still going to need schools and hospitals and, and mm. buildings built. It's just all of that is probably, you know, going to be um, going to be a bit different to an, you know, to an even more extreme example. Um, Absolutely. Or extreme. Uh, I, th I think it also, um, I think it speak to our resilience as architects, designers, interior designers, clients to say, look, we still want to forge ahead. This is not going to sort of stop us. We know things might be different and it might take more time to deliver a project or uh, get raw materials we were talking about today and, and sort of disruptions to supply chain, but it has really been a positive and, and just sort of great to sort of remind us that, look, we're still doing what we've always done just in a different sense and we're delivering in a different way from, from different parts of the world. Mm. Well, really encouraging to hear that you know there's um, that still that we're still trying to find ways and are are finding ways of moving forwards. I mean, one of the things which you know just as relevant has been relevant over a number of years is objections to BIM. One of the ones which we see a lot in the UK 
is kind of lack of client demand, if you like, you know, which um, mm. is often said, well, the client, you know, client doesn't, doesn't want this or the client's happy to have a data like this. So kind of why should we do anything different? And certainly in the UK, there's a trend to kind of say, well, that's not good enough anymore. It's actually more, you know, it's more of a competitive advantage, which if you're not doing it, you're just massively, you're, you're just mm. kind of massively behind some of your industry peers. So it, just to, I suppose, spend a few minutes sort of speaking about one or two of the common objections you see to BIM and how we can, as an industry, address them better. Look, I think one of the main objections to BIM I sort of see day in, day out is just basically cost and education. So first, I mean, well, actually the other way around, education, then cost. Um, I think it's quite interesting to see, especially over, over here, some clients still don't quite understand or grasp how BIM can benefit uh, their project from a, a facilities management point of view. If they don't understand that, then there's no way you're going to sell them on the cost and, and why you should invest a bit more money in the design stage um, to deliver something that they, they don't understand how to use. So I think it definitely, I mean, even coming back to something like Revit as a platform being sort of 21, 22 years old, we're still sort of in that education phase. So I think it still speaks to that that rate of adoption and that speed in the industry where even though we've got a lot of companies who are, are very skilled at what they do and, and these individuals Individuals that are just savant-like almost in in what they can do with design uh, technologies and Revit and visual programming. We still, I, I still think it's really worthwhile spending that time with your clients to educate them on exactly what the benefit is. I mean, I still find there's so many clients out there that just see a 3D model and say, "Well, that's great, but what are we meant to do with it?" And I think just trying to get them to understand the level of data that can be embedded in that model um, to be then handed over for facilities management and all of that sort of side of, of it is invaluable. I think once we continually deliver that message, much like you deliver a training message or an education message to my colleagues in how to use the software, as long as we continually promote that message and that adoption of BIM and technology and its benefits, then we'll start to see that understanding of of clients saying, well, you know what, actually, I do want to manage my asset and my building uh, smarter and more efficiently and more cost effective. And I want to know when some of our items are up for scheduled maintenance or different parts of that. So cost and education, I think, are the two biggest objections I find. I think, especially in Australia, architects led the sort of uptake of, of sort of Revit and BIM, whereas yeah. I suppose more so it was probably contractors and, and government from a sense in the UK. I, yeah. I remember when yeah. I joined the UK, uh, our architecture firm just basically said, holy crap, we don't know what we're doing. But we need to hit this dead <laughs> deadline in two years time. Help us. So it's even going all the way back uh, to our conversation at the start, it's been really interesting to see just who's led that adoption and how that's actually changed the industry um, in different parts of the world. Yeah, obvious when you say it, but it's, it's, I wasn't thinking it before in terms of where that emphasis comes from. And certainly in the UK, BIM was seen as a cost for quite a long time, um, yeah. unless you were a main contractor, and then it was kind of seen as giving you complete control, really, which um, which has has definitely has changed now, and I think will change as we sort of see the the advent of and growth of digital twins as well. Um, Absolutely. In terms of a kind of roadmap looking forward in this area, what difficult to kind of say what you think will happen, but what what would you like to see 
happen in the future? Yeah, look, it's, I often think about that almost on a nightly basis, it feels like, a basis it feels like at the moment. But look, I think, as I said before, I think IT will continue to play a massive part in, in digital transformation. And I think as our businesses continue to evolve and software continues to evolve, I think what we're looking at is potentially, I think we could be looking at quite a different breakup of, of how projects are delivered in the future. I think I, I was looking at, at a piece of software the other night and it really just reinforced to me that software is almost becoming very task orientated. Back in the day, Revit sort of can, well, Revit can do a, a lot of the things we need for modeling and documentation. But when it comes to space planning and data management, you're seeing all these different platforms come out that um, address a really specific task or, or problem or, or opportunity. I think I, I sort of, part of me feels sorry for our architects and documenters because they're just being thrown more and more software to learn to to develop or to deliver certain parts of their project. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see if in years to come with all these different platforms coming out, just how diluted or maybe broken up typical delivery process becomes and how you sort of glue that all together to continue to deliver buildings. Um, I, I, yeah, I definitely believe the advent of all these softwares, especially around computational design, generative design, there's there's all these platforms that are almost overwhelming architects to say, look, we can do things faster and better, but hey, you need to learn a new software or you need to learn a new coding language. So yeah, I definitely think the roadmap moving forward, I think Revit will still be around for a while. And obviously a lot of the industry will continue to use that as, as backbone to what they deliver. But definitely things like space planning, sort of data management, all these sorts of things, even collaboration around cloud platforms, they'll continue to evolve and change and really sort of change how we sort of work as project teams. Yeah, I certainly think the, um, you know, the architect is going to play a massive role in, well, in how we shape things moving, moving forward. Absolutely. Um, in terms of kind of guys, but particularly kind of in your position who are probably, I suppose, um, you know, arguably more pressure in this 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> what, what advice would you have for people in, in your position? Uh, look, honestly, don't try and fix everything in a night or a week. Keep the big picture in mind. Grey Puxan and, and myself are really at that sort of pivotal point where just before this, this situation, I was really starting to, to map out a strategy and look at our sort of one-year, three-year plan. Um, and to a certain extent, that, that sort of got turned on its head by moving everyone out of the studio. So look, I would say sort of don't give up on what you're planning um, just because your work environment might look a little bit different. Definitely try and keep that big picture uh, in mind. I, I find so often some people can get really stuck and bogged down in the detail of trying to fix something and trying to change something. But at the end of the day, I think this situation will sort of resolve and we will return back to offices, whatever they might look like in the future. Mm. Um, and our strategy will still be there and it will still be relevant. So definitely keep an eye on that big picture. Um, it, it might be 12 months away. It might be 24 months away. But a strategy is still absolutely key to keep uh, developing, keep sort of in mind for your business to keep moving forward, whatever our businesses look like in the future. I think we technology and processes um, will still be an enabler. So we need to keep making sure that we develop those in the future or for the future. 
Yeah, it's a really good point. I think as an industry, we kind of often get bogged down at that point you made around getting bogged down in the detail. We often get bogged down in kind of definitions of things rather than um, the positive examples of change often start with kind of baby steps and those baby steps. Oh, definitely keep on so um well really really interesting to to talk to you james thanks very much for coming on i'm sure lots of people who are kind of in in your position who have gone through a pretty kind of high pressurized last few weeks um (laughs) will find it helpful to kind of a hear from somebody in in the same same position but there's some really actionable things here around training implementing remote remote change and kind of the importance of having a have a digital strategy rather than a kind of reactive one so thanks very much coming on and uh, yeah look, look forward to look forward to keeping in touch yeah look thanks very much for having me jacob it's been really good to sort of chat through and, and talk about what we're going through all at the moment and what the future might possibly look like oh cool. thanks james thanks very much thanks very much